Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Outside Perspective. I'm your host, Adam Meredith. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. I appreciate you for uh, tuning in. If you're back for more, hey, you know what's up. All right, this episode is brought to you by my good friends over at Jombo Superfoods. You can go to jombocbd.com and check out their full line of products. What exactly do they have? Well, I'm glad you asked. They have sprays. They have uh, two different sprays. One is cinnamon. One is peppermint. They both taste phenomenal. Uh, they have geese. They have uh, muscle balm. They have a lip balm. They have, I say geese like pearl. They have a ghee that you can cook with or you can add to your coffee. Uh, they have drops both for you and the pets. They have it all. So you can go to jombocbd.com. You can save 20% at checkout by using the code OUTSIDE. Again, go to jombocbd.com. Do yourself a favor. So many people are getting relief by you know implementing CBD. It's an adaptogen. It helps the body reach homeostasis, or it helps the body find that baseline. You know, our body's always searching for homeostasis, and this is one of the things that we can give our body to actually help it. So there are so many benefits associated with CBD, including you know it's it's helping people sleep better. It's helping people with pain and inflammation. And uh, my guest today will have more information on that. Um, but before I get to her, um, yeah, just just check out, you know, Jumbo CBD. Save 20% at checkout with code OUTSIDE. This episode is also brought to you by Imposed Will, which is my company. Go over to imposedwill.com. We just dropped our full line of apparel also, while you're there, uh, please sign up for the mailing list. That way you can stay up to date and you'll be in the know on everything that is happening at Imposed Will. Thank you guys so, so much. My guest today is Dr. Mimi Vo. I went down to her office to sit and speak more about cannabis. She was actually at the recent uh, MoCanBiz conference. This is another one in that series of folks that I'm following up with. She's the leading physician and patient educator in St. Louis, and she's traveling all over the state. Um, she serves on the board of directors for the MoCan Trade and is the chair of their healthcare and educational committee. Um, I may also be leaving something off. She's doing so much in the cannabis space. Um, um, she's helping patients, she's educating doctors, and uh, we had a really good conversation. So uh, you are definitely going to get a lot of good information. If you are in Missouri, this is definitely for you guys, especially um, being that the laws have just recently changed this past November. So without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Mimi Vo. And that's it. Here we go. Dr. Mimi Vo. I said that correctly, didn't I? Yes. Okay. Hi. I always second guess myself. <laughs> How are you today? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time out of uh, out of your day to sit down with me and talk. Um, we're here in your office and uh, during your lunch hour, nonetheless. So yes. Do you, do you eat lunch or do you, do you fast typically or like what's your day I like? I usually do eat lunch. I've got to eat lunch and breakfast. But yeah. uh, I had a really hearty breakfast this morning, so I'm, I'm good for a little bit. Okay. <laughs> All right. I really appreciate you, uh, you know, kind of missing on your lunch there. So um We'll jump right into things. I know we're a little sure. time crunch, so um, 
I wanted to sit down with you because we both recently attended the uh, MoCan BizCon Expo mm-hmm. at the uh, Union Station Hotel here in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And uh, you were there as a speaker, and you're representing, I think, a couple different organizations, correct? Yes, so correct. I don't want to misspeak on, like, what all you represent. So for sure. the listeners, could you just kind of just tell them who you are a little bit and then, like, why you were there? Sure. So I'm uh, Dr. Mimi Vo. I'm an internal medicine physician here in St. Louis. I've been practicing for 15 years, um, and uh, I got involved um, with the Missouri Cannabis Trade Association. It was started about a year ago, one of the initial members um, on the board of directors, and I uh, am in charge of the Healthcare and Education Committee, so I am the chair of that committee. Um, and our focus is to educate, and the platform is to really go out and educate physicians and others in the healthcare industry because I have identified that there's a, a real need for um, and for education. It was, even as somebody who believes in cannabis as a medicine, and uh, it was very hard for me to find materials to educate myself. And because I was able to go through that process, I thought that, you know, I could help to educate others as well. Um, and, um, you know, especially with Missouri coming on board as a state where medical cannabis is, is available, um, I feel that, uh, you know, patients are going to talk to their doctors about it and the doctors need to be educated on it. Um, so that's one of the things that I've been working really hard um, at. And our, I've spoken at Mercy South Hospital. Um, I have a speaking engagement at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, which is okay. my alma mater, to residents and uh, students and faculty there. And, and then, um, I've also um, spoken at other engagements as well. I'm, I'm speaking to the Multiple Sclerosis Society okay. on Monday, so that's really exciting. And um, also um, throughout the state, we have uh, engagements in May and June to go to Springfield and Cape Girardeau and different places. Around yeah, the state. yeah, that's excellent. You know, just kind of getting the word out there and, and mm-hmm. educating, you know, the uh, the healthcare providers. Mm-hmm. So I've noticed because, like, I'm a health coach and I talk to a lot of people and, and I've I've read a, a ton. And just listening to podcasts and just educating myself, I've noticed a lot of the real-time information that's coming out, um, it takes a while to filter itself into, like, the academic system. And, like, some some doctors are just, their workload is so heavy and they only have so much time. That's true. Like, they're not educating themselves on these things. That's true. First of all, I think that, um, you know, we are not taught at the basic level in medical school. You know, 90% of medical schools do not teach the endocannabinoid system or right. cannabis at all. And that's conversely on the opposite side, 62% of pharmacy schools do teach it. So really? it's 62% versus 10%. So actually the, the uh, pharmacology world is um, far ahead in educating their students and their, their staff. Um, so first of all, there's a, a lack of education from the medical students onward. Um, second of all, it, because it's um, still a schedule one drug yeah. um, and the hospitals and different institutions do accept federal dollars for research and for, to, to supplement you know the residency programs and whatnot, they don't want to touch it. So they're yeah. worried about losing their funding. Um, and then there's also that stigma that's there and the, just the lack of understanding on why it became illegal in the first place. And so those are the things, the concerns I get from physicians when I speak to them. You know, that, that they, they, they think there's not enough research out there, which there is. And then they, they say, well, if there is, then why was it illegal to begin with? So they don't even want to touch it and, and look into it. Yeah, it. Um, I've noticed a lot of people, they want to use the scapegoat of the law to mm-hmm. justify, like, why something is, as opposed to really, like, right. looking at it and asking themselves, like, hey, is it is it right? 
That's you know right. what I mean? Like, is yeah. that actually, does it really make sense? And I guess once you've been taught something for so long, I mean, it's just mm-hmm. ingrained in yeah. you as a child. Yeah, and the Marijuana Tax Act that came out to, you know, to essentially make marijuana illegal back in the 1940s, it's, it was a long time ago. And so the people who are practicing medicine today have not seen it used as a medicine. So, right. so they don't know that it is effective or helpful. Um, and then on top of that, take in a day where you're seeing 30 patients, where you don't even have time for yourself or your family. Yeah. And to, to take the time out to educate yourself on something new is and, and something where you should be educating yourself already on all these other things that you do on your daily basis. It's yeah. hard to find that extra time to educate doctors. Yeah, for sure. And um, it's it must be a challenge because well, I was really surprised that you said that, you know, the pharmacy schools, they, they actually study mm-hmm. it because, I mean, we're and correct me if I'm wrong, medical school is essentially following like a pharmaceutical model, correct? As far as, and maybe I'm misspeaking, but I feel like a lot of what doctors do um, depending on the doctor, is oftentimes they're they're bogged down by so many patients, and they have to you know they have bills, and, you know they have mm-hmm. student loan debt, and they have to see so many people, and um, oftentimes they're just prescribing medications to like fix a symptom, mm-hmm. and not really addressing the root cause. I think that's just a part of what we do. Um, I think first of all, as physicians, we're scientists, so we're detectives. We're given a few different symptoms, and then we have to go dig and find out, okay, based on these symptoms, what's our differential diagnosis? Mm-hmm. And based on these diagnoses, which ones may kill our patients first? We have to rule those out first, you right. know? And then we find out, you know, okay, based on this list, now this is what we think is going on. Let's treat this. Um, so so I think the treatment is a part of, of it. It's, it's, it's a science, but it's also an art form. Right. Um, but that's only one part of what I do every day is seeing patients who are here for sick visits, Many of my patients are here for well visits, too. So it's preventive care, talking to people about getting their mammograms and their colonoscopies mm-hmm. and um, their pap smears. And I do that even when they come in for sick visits. It's I'm, it's my practice to do that on every single visit. So the preventive care, taking care of their symptoms and their diagnosis and treating that, um, as well as their their psyche. I feel like a lot of my patients follow me because I take the time to to reassure them or talk to them about some underlying depression or anxiety that they may not want to talk about but once treated they're so much happier you yeah. know so so it's it's so complicated and so in one 10 minute visit how do I address all of these things? You yeah, know, it's, yeah. it's very difficult. So that's why I'm always running behind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't get to see as many patients as, uh, you know, as I need to, to pay the bills, but I'm happier that I'm doing something that's right. and taking yeah. care of patients the right way. Yeah. Are you, you the know? exception though? I've been, I've been told that by many of my patients that I, yeah. it, I, I am a rare breed, but, um, but I have the luxury of being on my own. I'm in private practice, so yeah. I don't have administrators breathing down my necks, but it, you know, at th- the same time, you know, I probably could be doing a better job of, of, you know, of, of making, uh, ends meet, but, but I, I, I feel like personally that, um, my health and my happiness is worth a lot. Oh, absolutely. So, so well, I'm, I'm happy practicing medicine the way I feel like it should be practiced. So. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big believer in just building the life that you want to live and yeah. uh, just making it work. So yeah. I can definitely appreciate that. Now, what is required for doctors as far as continuous education, like once they go into practice? Yeah, once we go into practice, it's 25 hours of continuing medical education per year um, or 50 every two years. Um 
And it needs, if to keep our certification, for example, in internal medicine, then I need to keep those 25 hours in internal medicine. Um, and so they'd have to be things that related to, you know, diabetes, heart disease, high cholesterol and things like that. So for example, I'm double boarded. So I'm board certified in internal medicine, but also board certified in, in the treatment of obesity. Okay. So in obesity medicine. So I have to do the hours for both of those to keep up my certifications. Um, so when you're when you deal with something like that, let's say it's a urologist or a surgeon, then doing continued medical education on cannabis may not help them for those hours yeah. that they need. So, so um, you know, and that that it, some some doctors they just do it because they want to learn more, and some will use that towards their hours if they can find a way to justify it or whatnot. Yeah, you know? yeah, man, that just yeah. seems like a very conflicting situation, right? Because yeah. we know at least anecdotally, I mean, there's definitely research being done and mm -hmm. we're getting more and more research now that laws are changing, which mm -hmm. is awesome. Um, but it, it would just seem like a lot of doctors, um, they might just take certain uh, continuous education classes just to meet that standard and mm -hmm. not necessarily try to improve themselves yeah. when natural things like cannabis or lifestyle or diet change, mm -hmm. you know, really just like mm -hmm. the gut mi microbiome, for example, mm -hmm. has been shown to just address a ton of issues. Yeah, And I think that's because let's say diabetes, for example, new medicines every day, new therapies every day. And when we think about, okay, my 30 patients I see a day, 10 of them have diabetes. Well, that that's the one that I'm going to gravitate towards because I feel like I need to keep up on this. And there's so many things to learn as a physician. Yeah. There's so many things that we have to keep up with that something that is more, um, more obscure, we may put to the side as a, well, I'll get to that one day. You know, yeah. that sounds interesting, but I'll get to it one day. I've yeah. got to do the things that I have to help my patients first. You so know? what guided you towards like cannabis and more natural remedies? So, um, I, you know, I've been seeing more and more in the last few years, patients who come to me once actually became, um, adult use was available in Colorado and California mm -hmm. and in Washington. I met patients who would travel there and come back and say, you know, my migraine headaches, were very well treated by this or yeah. you know my anxiety is so much better I'm sleeping so much better but mm -hmm. then it's not available here or they will say doc I did bring this home you know yeah um and when because I think that I have a very good rapport with my patients that they're willing to say it say tell me that and then see what, what my reaction is yeah um and the more that I hear about it the more I kind of got interested in you know is this a medicine? And I started digging myself and looking into the history of why it's illegal and those things. And, and I've always loved history. I believe yeah. history repeats itself and, um, it, it gives us a guide of, you know, how to live our lives. And so I went and looked into the history of it. And during this time, about, um, a year and a half ago, I have a, a very close family friend in Houston who was, um, diagnosed with cancer. Okay. And, you know, we knew that his cancer was incurable and, um, his family and I were talking about what kind of things we could do to help him. And then I started digging a little deeper and I started looking at the research mm -hmm. and the, you know, what is available for different cancers and, and tumor suppression and things like that. And yeah. that's when I was like, wow, this is oh, right, really yeah. amazing. And I started reaching out to other physicians who have been using cannabis as a medicine for their patients solely as a practice. So, um, met with Dr. Jeffrey Hergen rather, and, um, he came here to speak actually and okay. set up a consultation between my family member from Texas, he flew in from Houston and we met with Dr. Hergen rather. Um, and it just, it was amazing to see, you know, somebody who has been practicing this and in California, he's had so much more experience than 
you know. Right, yeah. I mean, then, it's been uh, medically yeah, since 96. Yeah, um, And then I just started doing Deeper Dive, and then I became involved with the Missouri Cannabis Trade Association, and then started my platform of, well, I'm now starting to get educated myself. Well, I'm going to start educating others, too. Yeah. And as I talked to other doctors, I nine out of ten doctors that I met, talked with in St. Louis were like, I don't know anything, and I, I don't really believe that there's anything here. And, you know, and, and they would say, oh, it's not going to pass. You know, yeah. Amendment 2 is not going to pass. Um, and then when it passed, everybody's like, okay, come. Yeah, you know, they called like me, rush. like, tell me more about this, you know it's passed it looks like my a lot of patients are for this yeah um can you start educating me so so that it was a little bit different <laughs> after Complete the 180 there huh yeah yeah man it's it's definitely good to see things change um you know the the laws have been um, against cannabis for so long. And you mm -hmm. mentioned, you know, diving into the history. Would you care to share some of the history for the folks a little bit? I know. It can get yeah. Yeah. So, um, cannabis was a medicine throughout the ages. Um, you know, initially in China yeah. and in India, um, even, you know, it was brought by, um, Dr. O'Shaughnessy over to the, to the West and it was used for Queen Victoria for her menstrual cramps. Um, and in, in uh, the United States, it was available as a tincture, mm -hmm. and a lot of pharmaceutical companies actually created tinctures, and they were available over the counters, and yeah. where like you'd buy, you know, aspirin or Tylenol or whatnot, used for a multitude of things. So, um, sleep, anxiety, uh, abdominal pain, nausea, lots of different things. Um, so it's somewhere around the, like the 1930s or so, 30s and 40s, um, there was this you know, alcohol prohibition was there. And when alcohol prohibition um, stopped, right. then there was this push, well, what do we do? We, we, go, we need to go after someone. The The DA had just been created. And um, so then they started really looking at, at cannabis as, right. as something to go against. Um, also, at the same time, cannabis was called cannabis back then, but um, a lot of people from South America and from Mexico were coming and working, and um, they were smoking it. And prior to that, it was more tinctures. Mm -hmm. And so it was uh, al al also a, a racist issue. Yeah. They then changed the name to marijuana, yeah. um, and because that was the term that was being used by these uh, farmhands and these workers coming from Mexico. Mm -hmm. um, and then also they you know, uh, people in the African-American community were using it. So they were seeing it being used in jazz clubs and saying yeah. that, you know, this is what's going to happen to our, to our society. Everybody's going to go to these clubs and use it recreationally. And, um, and so then, uh, that's when the marijuana tax act was started. And I think it was 1942 and that tax act said that if you were going to prescribe it, so if you're a physician, you could prescribe it. If you're going to produce it, if you're going to manufacture it, then there is a tax that's placed on it. And it was a, an equivalent of today. It's much. It's a higher amount of, of our day, dollars today. Mm -hmm. But it made it so doctors, it was a hoop they had to go through. They had yeah. to fill out the forms. They had to do all of that. And so they said, well, we're not... We're just not going to do it. We're, yeah. we're not going to, you know, if, if they're going to put a tax on it, we're just not going to write it anymore. And the American Medical Association was against it. The president wrote a letter and said, please don't do this. This is the medicine that we're using for our patients. Yeah. And around the same time, morphine was produced. Mm. So then it was like, well, if you're going to make it so hard for us to write for cannabis, well, we're just going to write for morphine and for yeah. pain instead. And um, and so then that that whole change happened where now we're using opiates a lot more for pain and and whatnot um and then we had the whole war on drugs yeah um and then you know so in actually 
there was a case, I believe, that went to the Supreme Court that said that this Marijuana Tax Act is, is illegal. Yeah, wasn't and it? It's kind of like a catch-22, if I do remember right. It's like you right. had to do all of these things, mm-hmm. but to actually get it, like you actually had to have like cannabis. And then so it was like, all right, well, now you have cannabis without this, like a certain, or maybe yeah. I'm, I'm confusing well, it with something else. There was some sort there of. Was, it, was, it, was, um, it was regarding that. The, this tax act was said, like, you cannot just pick one medicine and say that, you know, you have to go through this hoop with it and, and whatnot. So the Supreme Court actually said, yes, it's illegal. Yeah. And so then that's when the DEA scheduling was started. Okay. And so then they made it a Schedule 1. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but at this, you know, also because industrial hemp at the time was being used. Um, so there is some other things as far as people wanted to use wood and paper for right, the, like, like the uh, newspapers. Right, and we're talking, the, uh, what's what's his name? Um, I know Harry Anslinger was Harry Anslinger was, was in, start, in, in charge of the Federal Bureau of, Nar- of Narcotics yeah. and um, uh, Controlled Substances, and it was the Rockefeller. Uh, oh, no, William Randolph Hearst. Hearst, yeah, yes, the, William the, Randolph the, Hearst. The decorticator was invented, right, which helped with hemp, and he yes. had stock in trees and papers. Uh-huh. And, and the, the Canadians actually owed him money, and and if he, and so they, it was that trade. He could get cheap wood and to make paper yeah. for his newspapers and magazines, and so he really didn't want hemp around. Yeah, so. and then enrolls all the propaganda with yeah. marijuana and yeah. for madness. And yes, man. Yeah. So it's a crazy and, thing to think about. And Anslinger has been on uh, record before alcohol prohibition was stopped saying that, oh, cannabis is not a big deal. It's not addictive and whatnot. And then right afterwards, he completely changed his stance. Right. And yeah. And just said what he had to say, whether he yeah. believed it or not, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. And then all these years later, you know, it just kind of completely stifled research. Um, I had a thought, and this is kind of um, when you when you started your research for cannabis uh, or with your family member who had cancer, right, and you came across mm-hmm. cannabis. Did you come across anything as far as, like, psychedelics and some of the research that's happening out of MAPS and, like, psilocybin for end-of-life treatment and different things? Yeah, so I, I, I um, know Dr. Uh, met with Dr. Susis Lee, and she okay. does some of the MDMA research um, for PTSD, and she does the cannabis research for PTSD in Arizona. Um, and she's seeing some really good results with right. MDMA for right. PTSD in, in small doses. Um, and she's able to phase two trials with it. Whereas in, with cannabis, she's only on phase one because mm-hmm. of the, just the, the stigma. Of right. It. Um, but I have not done a deeper dive as far as okay. psilocybin and yeah, yeah. It's just one of the areas. I'm just always looking at just different natural uh, compounds and mm-hmm. different things. I know they're just with Rick Doblin and everything out at Maps. Mm-hmm. They're just doing so much. I think they're on maybe phase three with psilocybin um, on their clinical trials. Wow. But they're doing a lot with MDMA and different things. So I was just curious yeah. if maybe that came across your research or no, not. not um, now, whenever I was listening, because you did a, um, a brief interview with my buddy Justin Bricker mm-hmm. at the uh, at the uh, Expo. Shout mm-hmm. out to the Justin Bricker, the Why Not mm-hmm. podcast. Um, and you mentioned that you grew up, um, your family was just traditional Eastern uh, medicine herbalist, correct? Yes. Yeah, so my grandfather um, was an herbalist. He was a naturopath and he grew up in a central region of Vietnam. So it was in the late 1800s, early 1900s, where he was well known in that region in his village and would travel to other villages and people would come to him and um, he used traditional herbs to treat 
a multitude of illnesses. Um, at that time, there wasn't Western medicine. When there started being Western medicine, he started educating himself on it too. But he sent my dad off to the big city. So he oh, sent yeah. him to Saigon when my dad was, I believe, 13 or 14 to okay. live with his older brother who was in, in um, high school there. And uh, he was kind of groomed to you know, go and learn more about Western medicine, and my dad then went to medical school when he was 18, okay. and graduated as a physician. And at the he was in the South Vietnamese Army as a um, as a physician, and uh, at the end of the war, then became a refugee, came to Hong Kong, and then to America. I met my mom on the plane from the refugee camp. Oh wow! To America, so yeah, they fell in love on the airplane, mm-hmm. and um, then cool. came here, and my my father then. Uh, my mom's family was uh, she was one of eight children um, with her a sing- with her mother and they were um, they were sponsored by a church in Springfield Illinois oh, and really? that's where I was born and uh, moved to St. Louis when I was very little when I was oh, wow. three but my dad did his residency here in St. Louis so okay. then we moved here so you've kind of been groomed to be a healer since you were very young yeah I actually it's interesting we're here in my office um, but um, my sister, she's a physician too. She's a nephrologist. Okay. And uh, when we were little kids, this is what we did. We came to the office and we helped work. We worked here since I was very young. So like nine, ten years old, I'd be here telling patients to sign in, <laughs> you know, copying charts and things like that, volunteering at hospitals at a very young age, just very being interested in it. And uh, I told my parents somewhere around I was like two or three that I wanted to be a doctor, and they never let me forget that. Really? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, man. It's just, it's so important to uh, instill in kids, like, just, like, what it takes to uh, pursue what they want. So, it's pretty mm-hmm. cool that you were exposed to that at a young age. Yeah. Um, oh, I just had a thought. So, whenever you're seeing patients, like, what's the process like as far as, you know, discussing their options in cannabis and, and how that may help them? So, um you know, when I see patients for, for different things, for pain, I only have a, a couple of things that I can use. You know, I've got my Tylenols, my anti-inflammatories, like the leaves and Motrins. And there's I issues my, on like their liver and different things yeah, like those, right? Yeah, And then I have the anti-epileptics or the ner- ner- the medicines for nerve pains. Mm-hmm. And then I have muscle relaxants and then I have opiates. So there's only certain things I can do. And if the patient has an intolerance to anti-inflammatories because of GI issues or the you know, some of the muscle relaxants make them too sleepy or, you know, there's certain things that I'm like kind of checking off now I can't use this or I've tried this and it's not working. Um, then, you know, I, I haven't been able to now, but I will be able to then offer, well, let's try something else. Yeah. Let's try cannabis. Um, I do, do have a patient who is, um, he's a Buddhist monk. He's oh, about wow. 85 or 88 years old and he, I've been seeing him for years. But um, one day in the office, this is a few months ago, um, I said, you know, and he, he would be younger than my grandfather. So I said, you know, in Vietnam, back in that day, I know cannabis was used. And did you see cannabis used as medicine? Like, what do you think? Yeah. And he said, yes, cannabis was used as a medicine in the early 1900s, you know. Um, and I said, well, you know, it's, did you guys use it for pain? He said, yeah, I remember it being used for pain. And um, I, I said, you know, medical marijuana laws just passed and it's going to be here. And he said, do you have some? <laughs> Can I have some He's for ready. my pain? Because he has bad arthritis. Yeah. And, and I said, no, I don't have any for you now, but it's going to be something that'll be available in the future, at least as an option. Right. So. Yeah, which is really good. Um, have you been able to, I don't know, discuss... So... I think of things like if, if we're adjusting like like inflammation, things like like CBD can help with inflammation mm-hmm. or it can help address the gut or things like turmeric or different things like that. Are you allowed to like 
discuss these options with patients or yeah, is that yeah. something that you do? Absolutely. So I am able to um, use turmeric when I was little. If I had a cut, my mom would take turmeric and, you know, it, it would be in her freezer and she'd break it off and then like, it rub it on, on me. So, um, but yeah, I'm able to discuss herbal medicines with patients and there are things that I'll say there's good data for um, and patients come to me all the time and, and say, I'm taking this. What do you think? Um, and then I can say, well, th- this as far as it being harmful, I don't think it's harmful. The good quality research is not there, but if you feel like it's helping, then that's okay. Yeah. Um, and and I, a lot of my patients are of a Vietnamese um, ethnicity, so they tend to use herbal medicines a lot more. Okay, anyway, yeah. So. Is there any research on oil of oregano? Yeah, I've not seen that research for oil of oregano. Okay, I didn't know if there was, because that. I know it can be used as like a, like a natural form of like an antibiotic, and mm-hmm. you know, it has like antimicrobial uh, properties mm-hmm. to it and different things, so I didn't yeah. know if there was any research like or not. green tea. Green tea has some anti-inflammatory and mm-hmm. antimicrobial yeah. Uh, usages. Yeah, well. and a lot of people can address a lot of the, the issues stemming from those just mm-hmm. by addressing their inflammation, I, yeah. I found, and just kind of fixing their diet. I'm just so big on just like, yeah. just fixing your gut, I found so many things can just yeah. really um, be helped just by that. I love that you're a health coach, actually. I'm one of my au pairs. Uh, he's a nanny of mine that uh, is here from Vietnam, and I put him through health coach classes. Oh, okay. because uh, He did the Dr. Sears health coach program okay. um, and because he's interested in that, and I, I am too. And, you mm-hmm. know, especially with my um, – I had the board certification in obesity medicine mm-hmm. last year or two, two years now um, – but that's been a big focus of mine is, is really changing people's diet and exercise and that helping with the whole person, you know, yeah. helping with, with many other things and yeah. getting patients off of their blood pressure medicines and their diabetes medicines. And it's, it's such a wonderful feeling to be able to get somebody off their insulin, right. you know, as they're losing weight and they're doing better. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful. And that's, yeah. I, I love seeing that. And that's one of the things that uh, I'm so passionate about because I found like through podcasts, like through, uh, you know, books that are being released. It's a lot of the researchers that are actually doing the work now, and you can get this information in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so many doctors that are releasing their research, and um, it's just it's just amazing. Like, what you if you take the time to actually learn the real information, like how you you know you can actually apply it to your life and help yourself. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's really powerful stuff. Um, how much time do we have? All right, it's twelve forty-five. Okay, <laughs> I think we're doing good on time. I think we're doing good on time. Um, now, with with the limitations on research, like how much do we know right now as far as like the different cannabinoids and, and how those break down and how they help people? Yeah, so there's about a hundred different cannabinoids, um, and there's some evidence of certain ones helping for certain illnesses. We're looking into a lot of the different terpenes and the terpene profiles, and really, you know, I've speak, spoken to. Um, some of the, my patients who who understand a lot more about this are using this already, and they're finding that the isolates, like the the THC isolate, the CBD isolate, mm-hmm. and bringing in the terpene isolates, creating it as a medicine, is just not as helpful as the whole plant. Like the so, full so the full spectrum, the whole plant, because I believe that there's a lot more that that's yet to be be found, and a lot more that's yet to be identified, um, and so the whole plant is really helping a lot more than these isolates and 
creating these different right. tinctures out of isolates. Yeah, I mean, like I mean, like you said earlier, I mean, we have the endocannabinoid system, which mm-hmm. is you know endogenously like it's it's built into us, like it's there, and we have these receptors for these compounds, yeah. and they work best together. Is mm-hmm. what it was what I've seen. Yeah, and there's other things that also boost our own endocannabinoid system. So, um, anandamide and 2-AG are our own cannabinoids that we create, but exercise will increase those. So there's that that you know the runner's that high, runner's high. Um, is not just endorphins it's also cannabinoids um, teas um, like cocoa uh, or the chocolates kind of mm-hmm. give us that that increases our um, endocannabinoids so there's different things that that are helpful and um, I think it's like I, I really talk to my patients about living just a healthy lifestyle you yeah. know staying active and I tell people like park far away walk in more you know staying active and staying active will help, you know, our joint fluids and reduce arthritis pains yeah. and just different things and eat less chemicals. Um, you know, the, the, uh, I come from, like I said, the Vietnamese background, but a lot of our foods are, are not processed. We are from a very young age are taught to buy healthy, you know, vegetables and, real whole and, foods. and yeah, and fruits and fruits are a dessert, you know, usually mm-hmm. it's like after dinner, everybody eats fruit as a dessert and, and it's, it's a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. And that, that'll, important. yeah, that'll go a long way and things like getting enough mm-hmm. water and, and yeah. sleep. Yeah. Um, do you, are you able ever to, or are you ever able to, uh, talk to your patients about like stress reduction or anything like that? I mean, obviously oh, yeah. you only have like a 10 minute session. Yeah, so absolutely. And I talk to patients about that a lot because I will you know, I, I will have a patient who comes in with, for example, chronic dizziness, and I've really ruled out all of the serious causes of chronic dizziness. Um, and I can just see their anxiety. And so I will just sit them down and say, you know, tell me about your worrying, your constant worrying. Like, tell me about your sleep. Tell me about your appetite. Tell me what's, what's going on in your life. Um, who do you live with? You yeah. know, what kind of problems are you having with your children, your spouse? And sometimes then identifying the root cause is that stress, you know, like they'll say, well, I, I work two jobs and I, you know, sleep five hours a night. I'd love to sleep more, but I just can't because of what, whatever, because of work or whatnot, or, or yeah. waking up early because of the kids and, um, and, and really helping them with that you know yeah that to re- identify the stressor reduce the stress and then that helps them with whatever symptom it is that that can be brought on by it yeah yeah you know? yeah you really are one of the rare ones dr <laughs> I mean, you're doing like a complete holistic you know approach to to health with your patients so that's oh, really powerful well, thanks um you know so the other we talked about the other um institution that i'm a part of yes is the society of cannabis clinicians and it's a group of doctors that was founded 20 years ago um and the dr hergen rather is the president and he's just recently stepped down and dr robinson stephen robinson is now the president of the sec or the society cannabis clinicians but it's a group of doctors who similar to myself um really want to bring forth research good quality research and data and also share data with each other so these doctors have been you know doing this for years and have a very large patient panel and then can help each other out as far as dosing, what recommendations are, what um, 
new research trials are available and then doing research themselves. So um, I just recently got accepted to be part of their board of directors. So it was really amazing. I met Dr. Hergen rather back in, I guess it was in um, November or December um, and uh, really just kept that conversation with them. And he just said, you know, I would love for you to join. So now I'm a volunteer for them too. So I'm a part of their international committee um, to help to spread the word in uh, internationally as well yeah um so dr Herger rather just came back from australia where he was in conferences there to bring the data that we have and the research we have in in the united states um to australia but uh they have for, on their website anybody can become a member um they have um you know health coaches will become members or pharmacists or psychologists um anyone who's interested in learning more data about cannabis. They've got videos to watch and a library that has different um, articles. Like, for example, there would be nephrology articles or whatnot. But I, I, one of my initial places that I learned from was through them. It was the Medical Cannabis Institute. And their CME that's on there for doctors uh, is created by the Society of Cannabis Clinicians. Oh, nice. So, so it, was, it, it was great to meet Dr. Hergen Rather. And, and uh, we had a board meeting and um, the board of directors, it's once a year, and it was in California, Dr. Hergen Rather's uh, home. He has a, a ranch in California, closer, close to Sonoma, okay. in Sebastopol, um, and uh, got to meet all these wonderful doctors from across the country. Yeah, it's, doing this. it's exciting times to see that we're able to spread that message across the world, yeah. and you know, you're seeing you know, the laws change in one country after another. And yeah. Medical marijuana just uh, got passed in Thailand, and it's on, um, it's, it's, being talked about in the Philippines as, as a oh, nice. possibility coming up, but it's already available in medical cannabis is available countrywide in Australia, in England, in the UK. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really exciting, but there is, is there's this gap of knowledge that just needs to be filled in. Right. Yeah. And, and, and thankfully we're, we're, we're slowly filling that in. Um, have you um, come across any research as far as like negative effects of, of cannabis? So yes, there is, um, you know, the, there are some withdrawal symptoms. Uh, so the withdrawal symptoms are pretty mild, more similar to tobacco withdrawal. So like your irritability. Or mental withdrawals? Mental and physical. So I think the mental is more of a, some, some cravings. Some patients do have some cravings and uh, more of an irritability. So and that's for chronic daily users will yeah. have some irritability or whatnot with, with stopping their cannabis. Um, there is a worry with psychosis uh, and it's, it's, it's higher in young males, um, but and so we're always a little worried about using in in um, patients who have a history of psychosis. So they have history so what do you of schizophrenia. Mean psychos- oh, like, like like hallucinations okay. and um, really mood mood disorders yeah. with it. And it, it is higher propensity in young males, um, but there also is a higher incidence of schizophrenia in young males. So there it needs still needs to be flushed out what yeah. what the the true incidence is, um, although it, albeit low. And there is. Um, on the books, about a 9% risk of addiction is what mm. we have, although some of that may be confounded by the fact that some of these people um, don't really feel they have addiction or, or are seen to have an addiction, but they have to go through an addiction center because of work or whatnot. So so there, yeah. it may be, be lower. Yeah. I sometimes, <clears throat> excuse me, I sometimes wonder if that's just like a character trait or if that is like an actual thing of the plant 
with with certain things because like you can become addicted to and and not to say it isn't because it, it mm-hmm. could very well be mm-hmm. but um, like you can be addicted to like gambling for example right there is so there's a true gambling addiction that. and and some of people I mean I can identify who I think may have more of an addictive personality yeah and it's it's familial too so you have come from a family with more addictive personalities I see that and you know yeah I have patients I just talked to uh, um, today who was addicted to alcohol and then he had some really bad issues where he was hospitalized so he's able to get off alcohol but now he's addicted to his opiates yeah, you know so it's, just, it's, it's like somebody that i knew had an addictive personality and i'm trying to get him now weaning off the addicted, the opiates that he was started on in the hospital yeah but um yeah i was just you know and because i i have definitely uh been guilty of uh maybe putting like rose-colored glasses on like oh cannabis is just all great and like mm-hmm. there's no negative side effect to it but then i did really i listened to a really good debate on the joe rogan podcast pretty recently and one of the guys was talking about just like you said um how people who tend to be um, maybe bipolar or schizophrenic like if they do have too much cannabis um it can kind of just put them over the edge so to speak mm-hmm. and, and, yeah. a, and there's like a, a snap yeah 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 and and short-term memory is is an issue we yeah. see that too um but then the, there's no risk of like a true overdose there's right. no risk the of overdose so like yeah high. yeah so i and i don't think that it'll be effective for every single person you right. know some people may try it and they can't handle the side effects because some of these trials there are people who then will be in the so they'll have placebo versus the medicine and some of them will withdraw from the study because they couldn't handle the the, the short-term memory or they can't handle the sleepiness from it yeah so it's it's not a it's not a cure-all for every single person but as a physician, I believe it should be an option. 100%. Give me that option. Uh, similar to any of the other medicines I, I use. Tylenol may be effective for some people and not for others, but I have that option yeah. you know, to be able to use that for my patients. And my patients should have that option to try it. Yeah, yeah. And so, the more natural options you have, the better is yeah. the way I look at it. I was at a... Sp- uh, speaking engagement last night. Um, it was uh, actually a CME hour. Dr. Patricia Herford. She is also a uh, board member for the Missouri Cannabis Trade Association, but she ha- gave a talk at um, Missouri Baptist Hospital on cannabis okay. as a medicine. And we, um, and she just, you know, she, she, the audience was mainly physicians, and there were a lot of these different questions about, you know, the concerns about psychosis, concerns about addiction, and different things. But as a, a pain physician she, with an Illinois license, she's actually been able to see patients for this in um, Illinois, and she is seeing patients get off of their benzodiazepines, so getting off Valium and Xanax, um, getting off their... Um, anti-epileptics for their nerve pains and reducing their opiate use or stopping their opiates altogether. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and then she said they're using less antidepressants. They don't need, you know, medicines for sleep. And yeah. so it's, it's really helpful for many patients. It is helpful where they can reduce many other medications that they have to take. Yeah, 100%. And um, I think of like the sleep medications, like you don't really get restful sleep with those. You just become unconscious. Yeah. So at least with cannabis, you'll actually get restful sleep. Like you can enter your room sleep and you mm-hmm. can actually have that restorative uh, effect. Yeah. Um, have you, uh, one more question, because I know we're running low on time. Um, have you come across any research as far as um, like the effects on the brain and like BDNF production or anything like that? Has that come across in your studies? I have not. I've not seen a lot of um, oh, okay. effects. 
what what do well, you not like harmful thing? effects just like so from my understanding so bdnf brain derived neurotrophic factor the yeah, growth factor yes, for the brain yes. like cbd does help right with that right production, so there right? are studies for, for its use in you know parkinson's disease and alzheimer's dementia and um and that's why the u.s has a patent on it as a neural protectant right. to protect those nerves and um and i think that that there needs more there needs to be more research available for that and 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 one thing, I get a lot of people saying, you know, doctors don't want to research it. It's not the doctors. <laughs> it's not the doctors. We want to research it. And, um, you know, but so Dr. Sue Sicily, for example, when she went out to start doing cannabis research, she lost her job. University of Arizona uh, fired her Whoa. and because she wanted to do cannabis research. And mm -hmm. so then she had to start her own research foundation. And she was given, um, she was awarded, I believe it was one, uh, one or two million dollars from the state of Colorado. They had a surplus in taxes because of all the money that they had from cannabis. They had this money that they put aside for research. So they gave her this research for this from um, for her foundation to do the PTSD research. So she um, did the research along with uh, Mayo Clinic. Oh, was it, I'm, I take that back. It was Johns Hopkins. Okay. So they, she was given cannabis from the University of Mississippi, and that's the only place where it's given for research with NIDA, with the National Institute of Drug Abuse. Mm -hmm. um, and when she got it, it was ground up. She said it just was leaves and seeds, low and quality. she's like very low quality. And so she, um, you know, had it, taken pictures of it. It was made the media. Um, her saying that you know, this is low quality. My patients aren't going to benefit very much if you're using this versus what I've seen in the dispensary which is much higher quality yeah and Johns Hopkins s dropped the study Whoa. you know they said you know you you should be lucky they're even letting you do this you should be lucky they're even giving you any cannabis at all to research why would you go out and you know have bad press about it and so they dropped the study because of that and so you know there are, hmm. and, and she's one physician that is she's so headstrong and she she's really out there doing it despite all of the hurdles not very many doctors are willing to, to go past those hurdles, even if they want to. They've got kids they have to take care of. They've got a yeah. family they have to care for. Or, or they, you know, they just, they, they're not willing to take that risk to lose their, their job, yeah. you know? Yeah, because it's still a bit of a risk of, you know, even though things are changing, we're still in that weird mm -hmm. gray area where it's not totally socially acceptable and there's still a lot of education left mm -hmm. to be done. So. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I'm here to do with MoCan Trade. Yeah. Educate doctors, the healthcare industry, but also patients. Yeah. So, so it's, it's exciting. It's yeah, exciting it is exciting. You know, I appreciate all the work that you're doing. It's very important. So well, it's, it's awesome that uh, we have doctors that are on board and, you know, trying to help, um, nice. you know, help educate rather. Um, so I'm going to turn the floor over to you mm -hmm. if you want to um, uh, tell folks, you know, uh, any, uh, you know, how they can get a hold of you, how they can ask questions, you know, direct them to any websites or social handles or anything like that. So, sure, yeah. sure. So um, my office is the Vaux Medical Clinic. Um, I will say that I have a lot of patients and it, I, I, I may not be able to take on tons of patients, but I'm here if anybody, you know, needs a primary care physician. Um, I... Um, Missouri Cannabis Trade Association is mocantrade.org. We are trying to put together a find a doctor page. So if, you know, I can't see you as a physician, we are hoping to put a, together a page so where there's going to be lo lots of physicians that will be willing to certify patients who can help with that. Um, we're working on possibly creating an app for that as well so that you can find a doctor on, uh, you know, on the app. But as I go around the state and meet more physicians, I'm compiling a list that hopefully I can then, we can then share with everyone. Um, Society Cannabis Clinicians 
Um, their website's cannabisclinicians.org. They do have a find a doctor page, which there was like one doctor from Missouri. And now I last logged in, there's like six. So I think we're it's starting growing. to, it's growing in membership. And hopefully that would be another way to find physicians that might not be on our page um, through MoCanTrade. Um, I think, you know, June 4th is when patients will be able to start getting their certifications filled out. It will take, uh, you have 30 days then to submit it to the state and the state will start accepting them July 4th. So that will be the day when we start being able to get patient cards. I will say though, you know, being in the talks with uh, those who are in the industry, medicine probably won't be available till April to August timeframe, just because licenses won't be awarded till December 31st. Mm-hmm. It'll take four to six months to, to get up growing and oh, processing mm-hmm. and all of that. So, so, you know, I don't think you have to run out to get a medical card, you know, right now, those cards are good for one year. I think it's $25 good for one year. Um, so we, we have time to wait. Okay. And they, and I'm sorry to cut you uh, off. No, and they just have to renew that card yearly? Is yeah. that how that works? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. as far as the process of uh, application, do they just have to go see their doctor and the mm-hmm. application process is done there? Is that how that works? Yeah. So the patient will need to see their doctor um, and review the medical records. And then the doctor will then fill out a form. Uh, it's yet to be identified whether it's going to be a paper form or it'll be electronic. It sounds like the the state is trying to do most things electronic so I think that'll be a little bit easier but the doctor will then just need to say yes this patient has hepatitis C or yes this patient has chronic pain and using opiates um, and then sign it and that is then submitted and then you get a you should get a card within 30 days is what they said okay. and if they have it's interesting in their um, draft regulations they said that if they can't get go through your application within 30 days, for example, if they have too many to go over and they don't have the resources to go over it, then they automatically give you a card. Oh, really? And then next year they'll re- re- review it. Oh, so I guess so. they're probably anticipating the influx of applications yeah. right at the jump. Yeah. Um, great. So, hey, thank you so much mm-hmm. for all that information. Um, it's been very helpful. Um, yeah, thanks again. Thank you. Nice to meet you. It was you. nice to meet you as well. All right, everybody, until next time. All right. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Hope you got a lot of value out of that. If you did, do me a favor. Go over and leave a rating, leave a review, like it, share it, tell a friend, especially on Apple Podcasts. Please leave a five-star rating and review. These things really help the podcast. And then, um, as always, go check out my buddy Justin Bricker's podcast, The Why Not Podcast. Uh, he's, He's having a lot of good conversations. So thanks again, guys. Have a great rest of your day.